0: Sixty years ago, a small group from the First Baptist Church of Winter Park felt the Lord leading them to start a new church on the east side of town. On November 20, 1955, in the American Legion building on the corner of Capon and Holt Avenue, the East Side Baptist Church was formed with 81 charter members. The church called their first pastor, Reverend Charles Patch, who served the church 12 years until his death. During the first year of Pastor Patch's tenure, the church moved to its own property on Aloma Avenue, and then in 1963, the church was renamed Aloma Baptist Church. In 1968, Aloma Baptist called her second pastor, Rev. David Harris. Rev. Harris' tenure at Aloma was very short, serving the church only 19 months, but in that abbreviated tenure, the Lord laid a foundation that broadened Aloma's influence to reach people. Rev. Harris and the people of Aloma Baptist understood that they were landlocked in their current property on Aloma Avenue and trusted the Lord in the purchase of 38 acres on 436 between Howell Branch and Aloma Avenue. Following Rev. Harris's resignation, the church searched over a year for the pastor who would lead the congregation to their new property. The pulpit committee found their shepherd, who at the time was pastoring the First Baptist Church of Mims, Florida, Rev. Joseph Boatwright, who became known as Brother Joe. Brother Joe, his sweet wife Joyce, and their children, Joe Jr., Andrea, and Brian, joined Aloma Baptist on October 4, 1970. By the hand of God and through Brother Joe's leadership at the church, Aloma Baptist grew in numbers and in the word. Through the launch of new ministries such as the bus ministry, many people came to know the Lord through this time in our history. At a time when many were leaving conservative teachings in churches across Florida, Aloma Baptist maintained her convictions concerning the Bible and faith. On June 7, 1981, the church officially moved from Aloma Avenue to the property on 436 into a multi use space. The multi use building became education space in the Fellowship Hall in 1985 when the church built the sanctuary on the 436 property. In 1996, after 26 years of faithful service to Aloma Baptist, Brother Joe, through much prayer and reflection, sensed God's will to step down from pastoring and entered into a new phase of ministry as the church's pastor emeritus. One year after Brother Joe's retiring, Aloma Baptist called her fourth pastor, Reverend Anthony George from Virginia. Pastor Anthony was the leader Aloma needed at the time. He served Aloma for 15 years and saw the church grow as the Lord provided. During this time, the church launched several ministries that led people to the Lord and helped them to grow in their walk with God. The purchase of the Howell Park buildings, the sanctuary renovation, the church's second name change from Aloma Baptist to Aloma Church occurred during Brother Anthony's tenure. In 2013, God called the church's fifth and current pastor, Dr. Wesley Baldwin from Nashville, Tennessee, to serve as our shepherd. Since 2013, the church has started several new ministries such as Awanas and Parents' Night Out, in an effort to reach the children and younger families in our community. Also in 2013, the church launched the Aloma 2020 initiative to promote spiritual awareness and to raise pressing capital needs to facilitate our growth. Through the year of the quiet time and this year's scripture memory, the church is growing deeper in the word as we continue to reach out to our community. In 2014, the long-awaited Fellowship Hall, now known as the Boatwright Center, was dedicated and opened for the Church's use. The Church has used this facility in multiple ways to reach people with the gospel of Christ, from food service, to women's ministries, to worship services. By the providence of the Lord, this facility will be debt-free in 2016, and the Church must begin to look at the next pressing need—our children. Whether you have been a part of this body from the very beginning, 60 years ago, or you are one of our newest members. You are a part of God's continued work here at Aloma. We thank God for our rich history and we look forward to a very bright future.
1: We thank God for our rich past. This video highlighted a lot of the pinnacle points but there are so many stories that can be told about how God has blessed this church over these 60 years. It's amazing, really, when you stop and think about how God used a handful of people and how he's multiplied it to this. Isn't it amazing when you look at the hand of God and what he has done? Now, I would be amiss if I did not recognize one of the individuals that God used to bring vision and direction and the word for almost 30 years of ministry. Brother Joe and Miss Joyce, where are you? Will you stand and let us recognize you? course, the church would not be where she is today if it wasn't for the faithfulness of uh, the, the, all the staff this church has seen uh, through these 60 years. As we think about our past, we thank God for it, but today we stand at the precipice. We, we're looking forward to a bright future. When we think about what God has done in recent days, it can only be summarized in one word, awesome. The growth we're experiencing, the lives we're seeing change, the people that we are reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ are all signals that God's hand is remaining upon this congregation called Aloma. We are winning the fight. This world is getting darker and darker by the moment, but we are winning the fight. We are winning the fight here in our community. We have grown in every division of our church this past year from preschool all the way to our senior adults, and that's only the hand of God. By far, the greatest growth that we have experienced are in our young adults, those ages 20 to mid-40s. The growth we're seeing in this age range is remarkable, but also it brings challenges. As we continue to reach this area, it causes our children's ministry to grow as well. Do you realize that we are growing by 10 new children in our children's ministry every single month? This is exciting, but it also causes us to face a very staunch reality. A very clear need is presenting itself, and I want to show you, and I want to ask you as the church body to come alongside and pray about it. On the screens behind me, you see the artwork of a new children's building that we are looking at and praying for and praying about. Where this children's building will go is right outside the doors of the sanctuary. It will connect to the sanctuary. The first thing that you see when you drive on the property of Aloma church is this family building, this children's building, because we are all about children and families. And so what better way than to have this type of building? On the inside, there is a picture of looking through the inside. And of course, kids love to play. And what you're looking at here is straight through the check-in station to an indoor play area that these children in Florida no longer have to play outside in the hot, sweltering summer. And I know that they're excited about that as well. What we need is a new children's building. If you've been in our current children's building, you know the limitations that we have. But something that we want to be able to to do for not only our children but for every age range because we are growing in every single area. You say, what are we going to do with the current children's building? Well, one of the aspects that we're going to be doing is taking that current children's building, the first floor, and remodeling that first floor. We're going to add in it a prayer room. I think we have a picture of that as well. And for those of you who were here at this church before the renovations took place, you see behind these people praying the stained glass that used to be in the walls right back here in the sanctuary. And inside the prayer room, this is going to be a, a place where we can come and pray. We're going to bring all of our senior adult Sunday school classes from Hal Park, and you're going to be in the Hal, in the new what is the current uh, children's building. And then the upstairs, the children's building, we're going to give to our students, our middle school and high school students, and they're going to have their own worship area, their own floor. And so essentially, we have brought the church that is scattered across this 30 acres of campus and brought them right here together as families, to be able to minister as the families and as the church should. All of these pictures, uh, as we leave here in just a few moments, uh, as we go out to the Boatwright Center and we uh, eat, as good Baptists do, we eat a lot of barbecue here in just a little bit, Uh, these pictures are out there for you to look at and to see and to uh, understand what, what it is that we're talking about. From early stages all the way up to our, uh, our, our senior adults, this is something that the Lord is leading us to. Now, understand that we are in the very early stages of this. The rough estimate for the children's building, the renovations, our, our student building, the prayer room, all of this is roughly $5 million. Now, hear me very clearly. I stood on this stage two years ago, and I told you that, if, that we would not move forward with the Boatwright Center until we had a plan to pay it off that we would not go into long-term debt to build a fellowship hall. And so we asked the church to give and the church, you gave. And right now we stand with this building. We have a plan to pay it off. We have just a little over $400,000 in the Bookwright Center to have it completely debt-free. And it's going to be hopefully paid off this time next year. Now we were told it's impossible. I was told it was impossible for a church this size to raise money without having uh, big-name people come in and raise this capital campaign and guilt people into giving, and we have to we have to do all of this. And, and we prayed about it, and we said, you know, this isn't what God wants us to do. God's not wanting us to be a high-pressure sales pitch. I, we don't want to send uh, little Italian guys like Brother Joe out to your door to beat your kneecaps if... If you don't give, Brother Joe's not going to show up at your doorstep. Uh, You know, he's got stories. He is, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm not Italian, I'm Sicilian. That's even worse. (laughs) But we trusted the Lord and the Lord has provided. Now I'm asking that we finish off this bit on the Boatwright Center. Then we focus on the next stage of Aloma 2020, the vision. Church, I'm standing on the same stage as I did two years ago, and I'm telling you that as much as we need this children's building, we will not build this building without a plan to pay it off. We will not go into more long-term debt to build a building. It's not going to happen. You know, this is a moment in our story where we're challenged to rise and to build for the future. Some of us will hear this and, and we'll say, well, that's impossible. You know, I find it quite amusing when people say things like this is impossible when they say things that God is in is impossible? Because you see, God is the God of the impossible. God blesses and makes the impossible possible. Don't you realize that nature says it's impossible for a sea to part, for a bush to talk, for, for, uh, for the sun to stand still, for a man to walk on water, but God did it. Science tells us that it's impossible to be swallowed by a well and live. For the whole human race to come from two people? For a a virgin to be pregnant? But God did it. Reason tells us that men thrown into a fire burn. Slaves don't become kings. That hungry lions eat people. That a few fish and a few pieces of bread cannot feed thousands. Reason tells us that blind men don't see. Deaf men don't hear. Mute men don't speak. Lame men don't walk. And most certainly, dead men don't live. But God is the God of the impossible. God takes those things that man says is impossible and he makes them possible. Church, buildings are buildings and walls are walls, but it's what happens inside of the building. It's what happens inside of the walls that really matter. What is happening here at Aloma Church is amazing. But the work is not yet finished until every man, every woman, every boy, every girl within this five mile radius, 250,000 people go to 10 miles, over a million people hear the gospel message. We must not let up. We must not check out. We must stay in the race. Now, church, we're projected to pay off the Boatwright Center next year, and that's a praise to the Lord that beats our expectations. However, there's no reason why we could not pay this off even today. There are people within the sound of my voice that you could write a check, and if we all sacrifice together, we could pay it off even today. And I would like to see that happen, but I challenge all of us. I challenge every single one of us today to pray about our year-end giving to come together and get this piece of the puzzle completed so we can begin to focus on the future, on accommodating our existing and future challenges. And everyone's seat back is this Aloma 2020 envelope. Everybody has this envelope right here. Some of you who uh, came here two years ago and you made this commitment. We have one year left on our Aloma 2020, our initial three-year commitment. So many of us uh, planned about this. Maybe the Lord would lead you to take this and, and say, you know, what I have been giving over these past two years, the Lord would impress me to give more to this commitment. Maybe you're one of the new 200, 250 people who have come here just in the past year and you have never made a commitment to a Loma 2020. I ask you, take this envelope home, pray over this, don't just stick it in your Bible, but literally pray over this. Ask the Lord, what is it that I can commit? What is it that I can give? What is it that my family can sacrifice in order to see this church continue to reach the people that God has placed in our path? And as I said two years ago, I say again, I promise you this is not a high-pressure sales pitch. You will not receive a letter from the church, whether uh, if you make a commitment to give a certain amount of money, if you fall behind, you're not going to get the little Sicilian coming to your house and knocking on your door with a lead pipe. I promise you that this is not a high-pressure sales pitch. This is an initiative. The... you. It, Churches that do this, they have it wrong. They believe that accountability rests with the church. Accountability does not rest with the church on matters such as this. Accountability rests with God. You make a commitment, not to the church, you make a commitment to God and you will be held accountable to the Lord. So I challenge you. I challenge all of us to make a commitment, to return our commitment to the church in the next couple of weeks and and place this envelope with a commitment into this offering plate. If you've not yet done so, do it. And if you have already done it and the Lord would lead you to, uh, to, to contribute more, then so be it. But as we continue to walk forward together, we're trusting the Lord in all of this. I want us to pray and I want us to ask the Lord's blessing on this and we will get into Nehemiah in just a moment. But I want us to pray. I want us to thank God for our past. And I also want to ask the Lord to continue to bless our future. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, for the privilege to serve this wonderful church as her pastor, as her shepherd. And Father, so many pastors before. You know, it's amazing as we were talking in our prayer meeting at 8.15. That a Baptist church of 60 years should have probably about 15 or 20 pastors. But I'm only the fifth. And Father, it it just amazes me, the long tenuredness the vision. I thank you for Anthony George. I thank you, Father, for uh, what he did in his 15 years. I thank you, Father, for Joe Boatwright and, Father, for the almost 30 years, three decades of vision and leadership. I thank you for the other two, Lord, that that have already gone on to be with you and, and how God, Father, you, you use them. But Lord above and beyond the pastors is the people. It's this church. It's this body. And, Father, I thank you that, And I know that if these five men could stand here and speak into this microphone, they would say that it is such a joy, it is such an honor to be able to shepherd such a wonderful church, this great body called Aloma. And Father, it is only by your hand and your grace that this church is, is positioned the way she is to be able to reach this quarter of a million people, this million people within 10 miles, Father, it's only by your hand that we're going to be able to reach them. And Father, we know that buildings aren't going to reach people. People reach people. But Father, you use buildings. You, use, you, you will use a children's building to where we can minister to children who have special needs. You will use this children's building that, that has an indoor playground to be able to minister to families who would never otherwise step foot into a church. Father, you will use this prayer room because you said my house shall be called a house of prayer. Father, you will, you will bless this church when we bless our students, this, this next generation that is coming up. Father, you have called us to do these things. And Father, we ask that you will bless this vision. Use this church body to make a lasting impression until you return. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Please take your copy of God's word and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. Uh, I'm not going to be speaking long, but as, for the few moments that we have left, I want to share with you as we close out this series here in the book of Nehemiah, Please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Nehemiah. In the ninth chapter and the 10th chapter, it's a very powerful passage of Scripture uh, that we're going to be dealing with today. We've watched Nehemiah, the courageous leader who has led the children of Israel to, be, to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now comes the task of rebuilding the people. He first rebuilt the wall. Now in Nehemiah 9 and 10, he begins to rebuild the people. Because you see, beyond the walls are the needs of family. The needs of people who need to know the power of God in their lives, who need to hear testimonies like Larry and Lynn, who, who, who are people who are looking for hope and, and they're seeing no hope. But when we hear that there is hope in Jesus Christ, oh, how he uses that. Nehemiah chapter 9 is the longest recorded prayer you're going to find in Scripture. It's the longest prayer in the Bible. Throughout this prayer and this praise, it's remembering, recounting the blessings of God upon his people. Then we come to Nehemiah chapter 10 and we see people making three types of commitment. These three commitments we're going to talk about here today. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll read just a few verses here. Chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe all and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rulers and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our God. Father, I thank you for this word. Now, Lord, in these few moments that we have to spend together, God, I ask that you will speak to us from your word today. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. The first commitment we see is in the commitment of their faith and the commitment of their faith. Verse 29 tells us, they said, we're going to stand up and we're going to sign our name on the line. In fact, the first part of chapter 10 are the, the, the signing of the names of the people. They are committing their life of faith. We're going to believe the word of God and we're going to live by the word of God. Many churches today are not being blessed by God because they have neglected the word of God. Many ministers and ministries have rejected the word of God. The faith wants to to the saints. They've abandoned it. And I call you and I can tell you here at Aloma that we stand upon the inerrant, infallible word of God. Our faith is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is the trustworthiness of his word. As a result of this, verse 38 tells us the people said, because of all of this, because of all of this, Lord, because of your goodness and your greatness and and your grace in our lives, because of all of this, watch this, verse 38, we make a firm covenant in writing on the seal of documents are the names of our princes, our Levites and our priests. They said, Lord, because you have been so good to us, Lord, because you have been so gracious and you've given us so much, we put our names on the line for you. We will stand up and be counted. We will declare our faith in you, O Lord. We'll put our names on a covenant of commitment. We'll make an oath of obedience. Look down at the last verse of the 10th chapter. Look at these words, verse 39. He says, we will not neglect the house of our God. You see, they were standing upon the faith of the word of God, but they also stood upon the faith of the house of God. Bottom line, they said with one voice, with one heart, we will not. We will not neglect the word of God. We will not neglect the house. And I pray every one of us would be able to stand up and to say this along with uh, these Jewish brothers in Nehemiah chapter 10. We will stand upon the word and we will stand for the church, for God's house. We will not neglect the house of our God. There are many houses of worship and places where Christ is worshipped that are no longer victorious. Many of these churches have been neglected and forsaken by people who no longer care no longer participate, who no longer pray, who no longer give, who who no longer share Christ. They have become mausoleums instead of ministries. May God help us to never, never, never forsake his house. Just think with me of the love that God has poured out through Aloma church. Think about the boys and the girls who've been trained up to know and follow Christ. I think of the Crawfords who are uh, charter members and how they've served. I I think of Jim and Sharon Perdue and those who who have worked alongside of them year after year after year, pouring their lives into these children. And these children have become adults and young adults, and they're now having children. And and their children are having children. Think about the teenagers of our church who have been encouraged to live for Christ in a difficult culture. Think about these lives that we're launching into the world to share Christ. Think about every single adult who, who has found presence in the power of Jesus Christ and, and has found victory in Jesus here at Aloma Church as just single adults. Think about the families that God has, has brought back together, the marriages that God has rekindled. Think about these lives. And say with me, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not. And so because they found themselves in brokenness before the Lord and in humiliation, they consecrated their lives to God. And they, they made this faith commitment together. They said, we can do more together than we can apart. I don't want to think about this. Every member of the church, if, if every member of this church were like you, what kind of church would this church be? If every member of this church were like me, how would this church be? If every church prayed like you prayed, what kind of prayer life would our church have? If every member served the way you serve, how how dynamic uh, would we be able to reach people if If the church worshiped the way you worship if if people witness, if this church witnessed the way you witness. If every church member gave as you gave, would we even be able to have a building such as this to keep us out of the rain? Over these past seven weeks, I hope that God has made us uncomfortable. I really hope he has. I didn't tell you that in the first, when we started this, did I? I didn't tell you that when you buy that book that I'm praying that God makes you uncomfortable, but that's what I've been praying for the past 50 days, that God would make you uncomfortable, that God would move you, that God would rekindle a passion within your heart for him and his church. Because you see, we are on a cusp. If you could see the vision that God has placed on my heart, I cannot sleep at night thinking about the people that are right around here that God has given us. We don't have to go around the world to witness anymore. God has brought the world to Aloma. It is our opportunity and obligation, and we are standing on the cusp. We are standing on the pinnacle. We are standing at the precipice, and it's either we're going to step forward and receive receive it or we're going to stay here and say, well, we'll let somebody else do it. I pray that God over these 50 days has made all of us uncomfortable. There was a commitment to faith. There was also a commitment to family. Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land. What is he saying? He said, we're not going to intermarry with the world. We're not going to turn our families to the world. That's what he's saying. They made a commitment to their families. They said, we, as we have set our faith apart, we are setting our families apart. We are praying a blessing upon our families and we're not going to let the world raise our kids. We're going to be a unique people, a distinct people. We're not going to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Earlier as they were building the walls and the forces came against them, Nehemiah told these men, he said, hold a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And if the enemy comes you keep digging but if the enemy comes you use that sword you defend your family fight for your wives fight for your brothers fight for your sisters your your sons and your daughters friends don't you realize there is a battle going on in this country for the family for the very future and the soul of marriage And won't we rise up as a church and say, we will say that we will not give our children over to this secular culture. We will not give our children over to this world system. We set our faith apart, but we also set our families apart. We will live and we will fight for our families. We will not let the devil have our children. That's a commitment. By God's grace and his help, he'll allow us to fulfill it. There was a commitment to faith, a commitment to family, and thirdly, and finally, there was a commitment to finances. As in this message, it's entitled, Living to Give. And living to give, we understand that as stewards, we, we are to be stewards of everything, our time, our, our talents, our resources, but also with the tithe. A commitment in their finances. You see, when you look at this passage, they put their money where their mouth was. Verse 31 talks about this. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. They were saying they're going to be honest with their money. Verse 32, they said, we're going to live generously with our money. Verse 35, they said, we're going to commit our finances. The principle of first fruits, we're, we're bringing our best. We call this a sacrifice. You've heard me say, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. That word sacrifice is a Latin word. It comes from the word sacra. It means to mean to make sacred. You see, we see in Scripture over and over and over again people uh, who bring bulls and goats. Uh, if they were poor, they would bring birds or grain. But they would take something that was used just normal. But when they set it apart to God, that made it sacred. You see, God wants us to bring what we have to him. And when we bring what we have to him, it's set apart for his use. And when it's set apart for his his use, that's called sacred. That's called sacrifice. And you see, it's more than just money. It's our life, it's our talents. This is why we have these tables up here and I'm challenging the church. If you don't have a place of service, if if you don't have a place where you're plugging in and and you're a part of the game, come up at the end of this service and sign up. Put your name on the line the way they put their name on the line and say, I'm going to give everything I have, my time and my, my effort, my energies, the resources that God has given me. I want to use for his glory. I want to set it apart and make it sacred. You see, there's a sense of entitlement in our culture, isn't there? We deserve certain things. We have a right to certain things and certain pleasures and profits and so on. And with this sense of entitlement often comes the sense that we want everything easy. We want everything as easy as possible. Don't challenge me. Don't push me. Don't tell me that you're praying that I'm going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) What are you thinking, preacher? We live in this culture, though, don't we? You know, quite honestly, church, it's easy to build a building. If we wanted to build this children's building, it's easy. A lot of churches would just go into debt, and they would build the building. They'd do it. That's that's the easy way. That's not what we're going to do. You say, well, why not? Because of the biblical principle we find right here in scripture. It's not always the easy road that we should take. We will have a new children's building, but we're not gonna get it the fast easy way. It'll come in the Lord's timing and it won't cost the church millions of dollars in interest. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Veterans Day. We recognize our veterans here on Veterans Sunday. The reality is that we celebrate our freedoms. We celebrate our freedom that Sunday, because of the sacrifice of men and women who served this great nation in the military. We thank God for them because you see, there is no freedom without sacrifice. There is no freedom without sacrifice. There is no success without sacrifice. If you're a business person here today, you started a business or you're in a business, or you're growing a business that requires time and, and energy and effort, you know, you know how hard you have to work, how many hours you have to put into this thing to get it off the ground. You understand this principle, don't you? Without, there is no success without sacrifice. You get it, don't you? Everything you do, if you want it to be successful, it requires sacrifice. Every mother knows this. Those mothers who have gone into the valley of the shadow of death to bring forth life. But the pain and the suffering of birth bears the glory of brand new life. The pain gives way to joy. Pain brings way to joy. There is no success without sacrifice. Some people want Resurrection Sunday without Good Friday. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has sacrificed before you. If you succeed without sacrifice, that means that somebody else put their name on the line before you because there is no success without sacrifice. If you sacrifice without success, then someone will succeed after you. If you sacrifice and you don't see the rewards of that sacrifice, You are sowing a seed for someone who you don't even realize is coming after you. With every seed of sacrifice always comes the blessing of God.